Hello and welcome to this, the 22nd episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, artistic director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is brought to you thanks to the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland, which means that each week we can bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised we'll never, ever charge for this podcast, but as ever, we are looking for you to put your money where your mouth is and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support promote and celebrate all that's great about Irish theatre. Of course, the simplest way to support, go and buy yourself some tickets. Maybe those tickets will be to the tour of The Good Father, currently on a nationwide tour all around Ireland. They could be for another show too, but realistically, make it for The Good Father. Um, and of course, you can go to one of the crowdsourcing websites like Fundit.ie, the Indiegogos of the world. Maybe throw a fiver their way. Donations often start from as low as a fiver, and there's always great rewards in return for your support. But of course, there's ways you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person, over a pint or a cup of coffee, or while you're on the way to a box office buying tickets for the nationwide tour of The Good Father, maybe. Uh, you can also share the link as a Facebook post or retweet the link on Twitter. Do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes. Um, for those of you who don't use iTunes, it's also streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie. Do go back and listen to all the other episodes in this second series, and indeed the 52 episodes from uh, season one they're well worth a listen leave us a review on itunes if you can or of course you can simply click to rate us on their five star rating system it's just a one click deal five seconds out of your day do please follow us on facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland or you can follow us on twitter we are at rise ireland and it's been another busy week here at rise towers because it hasn't been spent much at rise towers at all we have been out on the road we are still on the tour with the good father and it's all going swimmingly it's been really beautiful we're back in the linen hall in castle bar on uh, wednesday evening and it was just brilliant to get back down there. It's one of my favourite venues around the country. Always a massive crowd there to support. And just to see people instantly jump into their feet for a standing ovation at the end of the show is obviously massively rewarding. I'm delighted for Christian that people are getting to see his play. And I'm delighted for the cast, for Marie and Dan, who are just doing stellar work in this show. It's brilliant to see them getting that that warmth of a response for what is a really beautiful production. So I do hope if you're, uh, wherever you are around the country, you'll make it your business to come and catch us when we're coming to a town near you. Because I do need to feed my children and it helps. But also because it's a great show and I think you'll enjoy it. So look, that brings us to our guest this week and it is none other than the absolute powerhouse that is Claire Dunn. Claire is a great mate of mine, a spectacular actress, um, someone I have a huge amount of time for and this is... Oh man, it's probably the most inspirational one of these chats I've had in a long time. I really, really enjoyed spending an hour in her company and it is absolutely clear from the moment you sit down with her why she is as massively successful as she is. She is an absolute superstar. Um, I adore her work. I adore her as a person. It's a fantastic chat. So let's get straight into it. Here she is, the brilliant Claire Dunn. The wonderful Claire Dunn. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm delighted to have you. Thank you for having me. Um, let us start as we always do. Go back to the very beginning. What was the first inclination you had that a career in the theatre might be for you? Uh, it was when I was 12 years old and my mum asked me what I liked doing and I said making my friends laugh and telling stories in school. 
So, okay. <laughs> so she said, I think I'll take you to a drama class. So I think that was the beginning, really. <laughs> that's amazing. And you yeah. So from that young age, you're going, yep, yeah, all right, that's what I want. Well, I don't think I knew it was going to be a theatrical thing, but I knew it was something to do with storytelling. Definitely. Okay. Um, and just like something to do with connecting with people and telling stories. That was, that was really, it was very instinctual. And then after that, um, yeah, it went on from there. <laughs> this is intriguing for me because I, I think our primary function as actors is storytellers. I think it all comes mm-hmm. back to storytelling. That's the kind of the beginning and the end. It's the be all and end all. So it's interesting because I think we'll chat later about maybe your career as a writer as well. Mm-hmm. But then how do you feel that storytelling thing transmits into being on stage and how you create those stories for audiences? Well, it's, it becomes very basic then, doesn't it? Because it's like it helps you uh, realise that people have to hear something very clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's all about clarity, getting the, the point across and getting the the plot across on it like that's on a really basic level but also when you remember that it's about connecting to other people and, and relaying a story to them uh, we all jump up a level and we, we transcend the basic thing of like I could just say to you well I went to the shop and I got a bottle of milk and then I met this guy and then this thing happened but when I'm telling you a story in the theatrical space then it becomes like and isn't it mad the way that happens <laughs> when you're in life and then this happens and then people can connect to it in a different way and it allows that space to just raise it all to another level. That sounds a bit out there. It's not that out there. It just means that we're all paying attention in a different way. Yeah, no, I think that mm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So from being the 12-year-old starting in a drama class, mm-hmm. what happens next? How far along does that go until you go, right, okay, maybe it's career time? Yeah, uh, well, basically, you know, I did the thing of doing a play in uh, transition year like people do and things like that. Uh, But really, um, it took me a while to believe that I was going to get into acting. Like even like I remember going into my leave and search and thinking I might just go for a drama degree or I might just da da da. But then I actually did go for drama schools and happened to get into one. But like it was really like. I was very scared. <laughs> were you scared. I was very scared. Were you scared about the application process or scared about the reality of actually going and doing it then? Well, the reality of it and then also, like I did have one of those counsellors, uh, guidance counsellors that shoots down your dreams. You know, one of them ones that just laughs at you when you say you want to be a pretender for a living. And they're like, here's so, a nice secretarial course kind of thing. Yeah, well, they were just like, mm, what are you doing kind of thing. And, you know, I had that thing. You know, yeah. I had that wall straight away. Okay. And... But I just, I I think a pattern in my career has been that I do get walls up against me sometimes, like we all do. And you're, you're not supposed to, like, run away from them. You're supposed to go, hang on a second, you're telling me something. So I did that from the start and I went, no, I'm determined, you know. And, and uh, I eventually got into Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama and, uh, and that was an amazing turning point for me that was huge um, I was scared and but I went I didn't even I didn't know anything about Wales I didn't know anything about the culture um, and I remember I got into I did get into Trinity as well and Catherine uh, oh crap what's her second name it's John Olin's wife Burn. Catherine Byrne I was working in a health food shop that summer in uh, Nutgrove. Amazing. And she walked in and I was all, I don't know which school to go to. And she walked in and she had a shopping trolley, I remember. And I was like, oh my God, that's Catherine Byrne. You know, like I was really like, I think she's amazing. And I'd just seen her in a play in the Abbey like the month before or something, you know. 
And uh, she came in, she got a few bits, and it was that thing where you're like, do I talk to her, do I not, do I talk to her? And then she walked out and she was going down the mall, and I just turned to my the person that I was working with, could have been my boss, can't even remember, and I just went, I just have to, can I just, I have to go to the loo or something. And I ran down after her in the mall, and I, I remember jumping in front of her trolley. Not weird at all. Really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and just going, hey, look, you know, and doing the whole, uh, I, I'm a really big fan of yours. I'm, I'm an actress. Well, I want to be an actress and blah, blah, blah. And I remember saying to her, like, I'm caught between Trinity and da, da. And it was just when Trinity was coming to yeah. its end anyway. So basically, you know, it, it was a certain time uh, in, in the courses uh, of this country yeah. as well anyway. But I remember Catherine very much going like, seize the experience, go away. Yeah. Just go away and get the life experience. Yeah. That's what she said to me. And it was nothing to do with the right course or yeah. who's the better teacher or blah, 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 blah. Um, and I was very 50-50. And that really helped me because she was a woman of experience. Absolutely. And was an actress and was still working in the Irish theatre. So I think I had a fear that I wouldn't get to work in Ireland somehow if I went away. You know, I was very... Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. You know, very naive and very scared that it would all, you know, limit me. Of course it didn't in the end. Um, yeah, so that was how I kind of made my path to drama school. What was your experience like over there? I have a feeling, because I remember kind of, again, when I was at the same stage going, okay, shopping around, where are you going to go? Is it the Gaiety? Yeah. the Trinity? Or are you going to go abroad? And it was, um, Royal Welsh College was always one that was kind of in the mix. I feel like they were yeah. here at like, you know, They were here though, they stuff. used to come to the projects. Yeah. That's why it might be, yeah. Um, so what was there a big Irish contingent over there or what was it like? There just seemed to be always one Irish person or two Irish people in the course and they weren't doing that on purpose. That just kind of happened. Yeah. and I, they actually put me in touch with a previous student as oh, well really? when I was trying to make my decision because they knew how hard it was for yeah. me and they were being really kind and I chatted to a guy um, Kieran, what's his second name can't remember he was really nice I chatted to him on the phone um, and I remember then going like okay they just seem like good people Yeah. Okay. Um, and for me actually in the end I do remember remembering a gut feeling of like I think for me I need to just go away and that was just what I did you know and and it was huge it was like it was as big as when you know an emigrant goes away in the 60s to America in my head it was huge and it was like a 45 minute flight on one of those little air iron planes and but it was it was great it was an amazing experience and I think uh, you know it was obviously cheaper than being in London Uh, the rent is a lot cheaper and all that kind of thing and I it was at a time just before all the fees went up so I am one of the people that was very lucky and I got my degree for less than four grand my whole degree less than four grand and I was one of the first people down in London protesting when they upped all the fees Um, so I know how lucky I am yeah, I feel, I feel the same yeah. way on any kind of conversation around it at the moment. Yeah. Even with kind of allegedly still free college education here, you're going mm-hmm. like, it's still the cuts of something like three grand a year or something. You're going like, mm-hmm. not everybody has 10 Gs in their arse pocket to get through a course like that. And the idea that there are actors out there talented enough to make it to drama school mm-hmm. who are being stopped by their bank balance drives yeah. me mental. Yeah, yeah. And it has, a, it has a ripple effect on who's telling the stories in the country. And, and what stories we tell. And what stories we tell. Um, so I think that's why there's such a, an uproar over it, and rightly so. Yeah. So as you came out of drama school then, how quickly did things happen for you? Okay, so my story coming out of drama school is 
the best story ever. <laughs> I love telling it. I'll, I'll tell you why I love telling it because I had again lots of punches in the face just before. And okay. I think I think it's because I literally like it must be so hard on drama students coming out of like school now. Like I was coming out only when Facebook was only kind of like a thing. Um I think Twitter was only a couple of years after the year after I left drama school. And now it's like the pressure. Like I just don't like I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it and I'm working eight years. I cannot deal sometimes. And so to all of the young drama students, if anyone's listened to this, like fair dues to you and just don't worry. And um, <laughs> because when I was leaving drama school, there was, you know, you're trying to get your spotlight thing together and you're trying to write letters to agents and you're trying to blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was very, I was quite aware uh, from the beginning of third year that I was probably not going to get an agent based on my headshot because when you're coming out of drama school, there's a lot of thing about your headshot and that you might actually get an agent based on looking good in your headshot, right? right. Which is a very freaky concept, which means you're basically being told you need to look really good, which is like the wrong message, to be honest. Yes. You need to just look like yourself and be yourself. And so I was like, oh, okay. And I remember going for this uh, headshot and I'm telling this story to make everyone who was worried about their image feel better. I went for this uh, headshot with a guy um, who I won't name um, because I'm, I'm genuinely thankful now. He was taking photos of me and as, as everyone knows, I have this birthmark on my left eye. And at one point he was like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I can only get you from one angle. Um, you kind of only have one good side. And it's almost Jesus like, Christ. it's almost like you're like beauty and the beast in one. Amazing. And <laughs> I remember the feeling like... I was on my own in London. I'd travelled down from Cardiff. I'd put all this money into this, my yeah. own money that I'd earned, you know. And uh, it was a huge struggle for me to get to drama, through drama school. I had to earn my way through as well. I, in fact, I nearly left in the middle of second year and the school got me some grants. Like, right. they were amazing. They got me support. I got Sophie, uh, the Sophie Long Fund. Or Sophie, Sophie Silver Lining Fund, which... Uh, everyone in the UK should know about it's for students like me who just couldn't afford to get through and it's just a little bit of money that will push you through a term yeah. not much but enough so anyways there was me using bits of that money like and this guy's calling me that like saying this and I was like wow and I still remember the moment of walking out of the studio and going I I I am determined from that moment to stay who I am and still look like who I am and proceed in this business like and and just like to be honest just like a big, a, fuck a, you. a big fuck you to be honest to him I was just like okay I don't look like everyone else but like that's who I am yeah and, I, and it was a massive moment of like and then there was of course you think you're only going to have one of those moments there's always moments <laughs> like that that go on and on but like it was uh that was a huge kick in the teeth so basically sorry a very long-winded way is I decided in third year I was going to be um, quite savvy and I wrote to casting directors more than agents. Okay. 
because I thought, right, I'm probably not going to get it based on headshots. So I did write to agents, but I wrote to casting directors as well, as well. And what I did was I went into the head of acting of my course and I said, look, I really want to work in Ireland. So can I write to Irish casting directors? And if I can somehow pull the money together, I'll try and pay for their flights. But maybe if you could help me pay for their accommodation, because they pay for casting directors to come from London. Obviously. Oh, OK. All right. So I was basically being savvy. And I still remember Dave Bond going, if you can get Maureen Hughes over here, I'll pay for her flights and put her up in the Hilton. Down I go to the computers in the internet room or whatever in college, and I write out this email to Maureen's email that's on the internet sure. that you can just get. I write to it, and I say, I'm going to be, this is ironic, but I was going to be, in a mu- I was going to be the fucking lead of the musical in third year. Uh, in the February so I was writing to her say in November December so it was well in time you know and I just I remember just writing out this email and I sent it off and I was like and you will be looked after da 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 because he had promised I was like you'll be looked after you'll be uh, we'd pay for flights and accommodation and blah 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 and basically she wrote back about five hours later going I'd love to I'll come on this date and I'll stay this night amazing <laughs> and she still says to me it was because I came across really professional in the email <laughs> but really, like, really I was kind of like you know I was like I was really like shit now doing it but I did it and uh, then I went upstairs and I printed out the email and I gave it to Dave Bond and he went brilliant yeah so she came over in February and before she even saw me on stage we had a cup of coffee we were sitting there and it was the the thing that you'd always dream of as an actor the only thing I ever wanted before I wanted anything else in my acting career was just to work with Druid Theatre Company the dream role being Peggy and Mike Right. So I'm sitting there across the morning news and she just looks at me and goes, These, they all think you're great in here. You know, I'm just looking at you and I think, you look like a great Peggy and Mike. Hang on a second. Whips out her phone. Gary. <laughs> Gary Hines. Like literally on the phone. I think you need, you need to see this girl. I think we should get her over. I think we can get her over next week somehow. Blah, blah, blah. I was like this. I was there listening going, I have my showcase next week, like in, in oh, college. Jesus, and I was yeah. going, okay, what did she say? Okay, okay. And basically what happened was I uh, finished the musical that Saturday and I flew over to here to Dublin on the Sunday and I auditioned for Gary at nine o'clock in the morning on the Monday morning. Absolutely normal. Perfect. <laughs> you know, in, in her old office in, in Dame Lane, in uh, Maureen's old office. I barely remember what it was like. It was like five minutes long. Uh, I just remember doing a go- like my best go of pegging and then leaving and going, I don't know what just happened there. And then getting on a plane and had to go to Bristol because of the timing of the flights. And then the college paid 99 quid for me to get from Bristol to Cardiff in a taxi to make it in time to be on stage for a showcase that night. Jesus Christ. So it was a really like whirlwind kind of thing. And then I didn't hear back for a good five days. And then Maureen rang and said, uh, yeah, would you like to be pegging? So I got to be taken out of drama school uh, early. Um, and I... I did pegging Mike like on a little UK tour so in amazing. my third term of third year, and then and out of that it was off the back of that that I signed agents. So my my thing that I always say to actors is like I got a job first. Yeah, 
and I, I, I try and say this to be, to be like it's, it's, it can happen it can happen and don't freak out basically if you don't get an agent it's so incredible there I love are. it I love it I've, I talked for ages there so. that was fab did they, so did you have to use that tour then as extra credits to finish up or did they just yeah they, they, they basically marked me on that really? that became one of my credits so hilarious yeah. one of your yeah. college exams was Peggy yeah. and directed Peggy. by Gary yeah yeah, it's not a bad little college exam. <laughs> um, talk to me then about how it's been for you since. I want to talk about a couple of different yeah. gigs because Overs. I've seen a lot of your stuff because I'm a big fan, uh, as you know. Um, I want to talk Grounded, predominantly because yep. my pal Anne Hathaway did it on Broadway and I went and saw you do it and you absolutely smashed that. It was incredible. What was that experience? Was that your first time doing a solo show? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a thing to do a solo show, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was... I don't know if there's, I think there's like BCAD when you do something like that. It's kind of like, there's something magical that can happen when you do a big, just you and the audience thing. Yeah. And that show in particular, like the writing of it. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And what it's like asking of the performer, um, massive. And then when you have Selena Cartmel directing you to move a load of chairs around the stage <laughs> and run up and down a lot. A lot of running. A lot um, of running. There's a lot of, I have a dry mouth right now, but I'm going to keep talking. I, I learned how to do things with my body that I'd never done before doing that show. It is definitely, uh, it's the most probably, uh, it's just a huge learning experience. Um, there's nobody else to bounce the ball off except your audience. Exactly. So like in it, in it like I found sometimes on some nights I would know I'd like, just because of whatever was happening, if something slightly went wrong with a technical thing or da 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 da, there might be a slight dip at some point. And deep in all of our subconscious minds, there's a language going on, you know, between me and the audience. And I'm going, I know I let the ball drop there a little bit. You don't know. It's because the light went there and that chair is not supposed to be there yet. Da 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 da. But I'm going to get you back. Like, there's a weird thing that I found going on sometimes that I went, I'll get you back. I'll get you back, I'll get you back. Um, and then there's also just an incredible, you have to be so open. Like, mm. you just have to be so open with everyone and just be there in the space with them. Um, Did you yeah. find a bit that almost the audience become your scene partner? That, oh. it's, that it's them that you're playing with as yeah. well as two and four? Yeah, yeah, because you're creating, like, massive pictures in your head all the time so you can remember what you're doing yeah. and see it and very much translate that to the audience and of course because you're trying to get that across to them you're looking them in the eyeball and you're winking at them and you're laughing with them and there's just a there's a new sense of um, intimacy mm -hmm. because you're directly telling them the story and we talked at the very beginning about storytelling yeah. and in terms of that old style Irish traditional Shanachy storyteller I mean that's for my money that's essentially what a solo show is did you feel a bit of that there with it as well? Yeah like you feel a kind of um, it sounds oh this is going to sound really worthy you feel kind of honoured to be a person that's just you're the person that gets to tell the story just you on your own and we're all here to listen to you like it's a big honour. It is. Massive honour. And so you feel a certain responsibility. So I remember with, with Grounded anyway, I felt huge um, responsibility to research and speak to people. I had the most profound experiences researching that. So I spoke to um, a lovely guy, Kieran. I think it was Kieran Givney, is that his name? Oh God. In the barracks in Rathmines. 
who then brought me to meet uh, actual female pilots okay. in Ireland. And we sat in a presidential suite <laughs> because basically the president gets his own helicopter sometimes. So we sat in the place where he would be like before getting flown to important places or whatever. And, and it was so amazing to meet female pilots and speak to them. Like I met this woman and she was like a mother, a wife, you know, a whole thing. Uh, but she was a, she was a pilot like um, for the army. And she was just explaining to me the mentality of being, uh, well, a soldier in Ireland. I mean, we mostly do peacekeeping and really like really cool stuff. So, yes. um, but the stuff that she's been that she has done in her life, like, and she just, I just still remember her saying things like, uh, "When I'm called to duty, especially for things like peacekeeping, and when it's something that's an emergency, and we're going in to rescue people, it's like everything else gets out of the way." Like everything just moves to the side and I'm able to do that. Whatever is I'm called to do, I can do. And it was so moving and uh, I just felt so lucky to be even meeting her. Do you know that kind of way? Like there was that and then there was like, I think I spoke to people on the phone as well. Um, I can't remember what else I did for that job. I did a lot of research for that. Um, But essentially just even that experience of even meeting those people makes you realise what you are uh, trying to um, uh, create in a room with people and let them have a taste of an experience that you actually haven't lived. But through meeting people, you get to, you know, kind of channel it through somehow. Like, so, yeah, that was incredible. That singularity of focus that you seem like, you know, when she's called, that's it, game time, get yeah. in and do it. Do you feel a similar thing to work when you're, if you're in the middle Absolutely. of a run? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. I mean, I like the last few months I've been working three jobs essentially by accident. <laughs> Thank you, Philly McMahon, for making me do Sherlock at Fuck It in the middle of uh, Look Back and Anger. But I was writing as well. So I had a thing of like, uh, I had to be very physically like, just like, I, I, I don't know. I just remember going over Look Back and Anger sometimes and just being like, okay, I have to drop that behind me now. <laughs> that day of work behind me and then go on you know there's definitely a feeling of that and we all know that like uh we have things happen in life as well sure. like you know during the day or whatever um and it could be small things it can be big things and like in order to go on stage and do what you have to do you have to be able to somehow like move all that out of the way on some level at the same time it can charge what you're doing hmm. if you do it in the right way you know you can let it feed you and uh, let it be there at the same time just don't let it take over the work kind of thing uh, and I remember reading a really cool article when I did the Silver Tassie with Druid we got given these amazing notes and I still remember there was a great thing that we read about uh, it was called the theatre of war and and there's actually so much similarity between soldiers and actors Yeah, like so much it's it's uncanny. Getting into costume, all the stuff that goes along. The with whole it. Yeah. thing, and it really like it does sometimes feel like you're going over the top <laughs> when you're when you're when you're going into an open night. Like the stuff that your body is going through is not it's not normal. Yeah, it's um, funny because and I refer to like people I've worked with on shows. I was like I was in the trenches with her. I was in the trenches with him. It does feel sometimes a bit of a siege mentality sometimes. Yeah, because we're all opening ourselves up yeah. literally to be shot down. Yeah. <laughs> That's, to, to be told like oh that was crap or that was good or like yeah I like that but I didn't like that and we're all putting ourselves out there every time we do it like and but we're the only 
want like we all need the thing to happen yeah. like the critics the critics need us there to do that job otherwise they, don't, they have nothing to criticise so we're all really in it together yeah. but I do I do think there is something very as I go on I'm like actually the more I go on with this career the more I admire uh, actors that stick it out so now more and more in my life I find myself like looking at older actors and I just want to hear what they want to say what they're saying all the time because they have they have they have gone. They've they've kept going. Yeah, they've kept going. With there it. is something in that that I think is quite a remarkable achievement and kind of mm-hmm. deserving of respect and is kind of awesome in the truest sense of the word. Just that, just by sheer dint of will. Yeah. Keeping going, staying with it, because there's a million reasons why you should get out of the business all the time. Yeah. But yeah. for those who do stick it out, it's it is something special, isn't it? Yeah, totally, totally. And we forget that it's something that, um, like, I think. For a long time, I was like, I was questioning why I was acting. I remember after Major Barbara, I went through a big phase of wondering why I'm actually doing this. Like, Is this because, everybody... because you've been working with me, you went, why am I doing I went, this? Why? We're going to go. That's it. It's game He's over. He's ruined it. I think it was just because it was a Shaw piece, and I'd re- read two of his biographies, preparing for it, and I don't know. I suppose I was just. You know, all those kind of early 20th century writers who were like writing around just after the First World War, like everything's quite existential and questioning why, 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 you know. And I suppose then I went on that buzz for a while. Okay. And, and I was, I suppose, just like at that point where I was working, what, five years or no, only three or four years by that stage. But it was still at that point where you're going, I wonder what I'm actually doing this for, really? Like, you know, like, and, and so that, that made me then like, yeah really question I can't remember where this is going now <laughs> but if, if but, you're questioning why yeah. you're being an actor did you ever get to an answer um, that's a big one I'm sorry, big to one. Do- I'm sorry to drop that one on you no I, I think like it comes back to the first thing I was saying I think that's why I got into writing as well um, I, I just I think I just realised that I'm basically am I, I think it is that I just love being a storyteller yeah. of any sort um, like which is why I've probably ended up in writing as well uh, and also because I have done a lot of day jobs like I've had a lot of gaps guys <laughs> like I'm not perfect I've done a lot of reception work um, shout out to Sigmar uh, <laughs> Sigmar recruitment um, I've done a lot of other jobs like it's not like I haven't thought about doing the other mm. stuff I really have thought about doing a degree in something else I've thought about um like I've fantasized about just working in a cafe and not having the stress level that I have to deal with sometimes the honest to god truth is is that when I am when I if I'm lying around for a few days rest like this is what I always realize is that when I'm I've chilled out for a few days and I'm doing nothing I think when when you're a rested person and you you are you have nothing going on in your head what's your first inclination to do that's what you're meant to do yeah and my first inclination, like when I get up in the morning, is to write something, or or read something, or or want, I want to be in a room with people making something. Yeah, it's very simple actually. Like so, it might actually turn into something else later in my life. I don't know, but I know I love uh, certainly with theatre. It's the collaborative thing yeah. of we're actually all going to try and make something together and then give to a, a bunch of other people. And uh, I also love the idea. I'm stealing this off Michael Murphy. Steal away. Because he's a good friend. It shouldn't work. 
Okay, go further with that then. Explain that one to me. There's a person on one side of the room or a, bun- a smaller group of people making believe something. Mm-hmm. And there's a, about 50 people on the other side of the room going, sure, we're going to invest in that. We're going to believe that now. Yeah. That's magic. Like that's all of us choosing to believe a whole different reality for an hour and go, I wonder what we got out of that like. And like really like a person could walk onto the stage, you know, and the rest of the people could actually go, I oh, know I'm not buying it and just walk out. <laughs> but we have chosen to do this for thousands of years. Yeah. Thousands of years. Yeah, it's, I, I do. I think it's a fundamental part of us. Um, I want to talk to you. You've talked about research quite a bit. So yeah. I wouldn't mind talking to you about your approach to work, to building a show, to building a character, to creating yeah. that thing. Uh, is it a lot of reading and research for you as a rule or have you other ways into characters? Uh, uh, it's. I feel like the reading and research has maybe reduced in quantity in the last couple of years. I don't know why that is. I laziness, think it's definitely laziness. It's laziness. <laughs> now, I, I tell you what it is, is that I've done a lot of reading and research before and it's blocked me on some level. If oh, it gets okay. too caught up in the head space, I won't let go and just be in the room. So I've realised that if I do the head stuff before the job, it's better. So like how do I explain so like before I did Tribes I watched that I watched an amazing documentary about um, is it Orla O'Sullivan or something it was on Good Vibrations or whatever on RTE about a deaf musician you know and a music teacher and that really inspired me and I and I read a bit and I, I started learning a bit of sign language off YouTube and stuff like that but really once I was in the room it had to be experience, experiencing it from my body okay from like connecting with people because otherwise you know I only have four weeks rehearsal (laughs) I was like okay here we go so I would say um, on a basic level I do like a bit of research but only as far as it can get me like it's not my job to be an expert yes it's my job to be a human in space communicating with other humans I have to only like it has to get me so far and then I have to literally be the being in the room. Yeah. It's really so, interesting for me to hear you talk about that because yeah. from my experience of being in a room with you, you strike me as a fiercely intelligent actor, but also someone who uh, has a real deep emotional connection to the stuff you're doing as well. And it seems like you're talking about those two things going hand in hand and there's yeah. a time and place for each. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the same goes for writing. The same goes for any... I think it, the same would go for a lot of art forms is that like you get to a certain point and you'll just get blocked by the research anyway you'll get too tongue-tied or you'll get too head tied about it and and be wondering are you doing it right you can't be worried about doing something right you have to jump in is that the thing like working with Shakespeare and the iambic and all that that you do your titum-titums at home and then have that kind of enough that it's in you in in, like within your bones and then you fucking forget it and go and play the part I remember learning all that stuff in, in drama school about the Shakespeare stuff. Uh, we had we had a great voice woman with us when I did the sh- the female Shakespeare's in London, Barbara Houseman. She's she's fantastic, but really, with her actually, she gets in on your brain in a very uh, roundabout way, where it's not just technical vocal stuff. Yeah. She's helping you get the thought and where the feeling might come from, where Shakespeare was coming from writing it. Yeah. So she gets you to find your own instinct with it. And I think that's the trick. So like the technical stuff is brilliant because I guess it tunes up your muscle, it tunes up your your lips and your mouth and your vocal cords and 
all that kind of thing because you have to deliver it to a certain size space. That's all fine. Yeah. And the iambic is the iambic is about the human heartbeat. Yeah. Like, but yeah, practice your iambic and then go. Do I have a heartbeat? I do. I think I know what my heart's telling me. I think I'll just try and say this like I mean it. Yeah. Because that's that's what you're doing. Like I I had. Uh, I think my little cousin just went for an audition in the Lear. She got a call back. Amazing. <laughs> but I met her for a cup of coffee and uh, before her auditions, so I didn't, I didn't help her out with her monologues. I didn't get involved in that way. But um, she, I remember she was just like asking me advice about the, the Shakespeare. And I was like, I was like, it's really actually, if you try and just think of it as the same as the other stuff that you're doing, don't, don't fill your head with loads of stuff before going into this audition. Mm. Just, try and say it like it's your own like as if you are saying that about this person that you love yeah. like just try and do that first what was the experience of working on those Shakespeare plays like and for uh-huh. those for those who may have been living under a rock <laughs> maybe tell us a little bit about the overall scope of the project and who was involved and, yeah. and then what it was like okay so uh, the all female Shakespeare at the Donmar was um, Phyllida Lloyd uh, this this uh, amazing director um, she was asked to direct something at the Donmar and uh, all of the all of the people that were running the Donmar Josie and Kay Packenham and all they just wanted to have more women involved and um, Harriet Walter and Phyllida had just worked on a project a couple of years before and they were for some reason involved with Oh no, they were involved with, I think it was Clean Break and it was to do with female prisoners. Basically, in some conversation they realised, oh, I wonder could we do an all-female Shakespeare? But setting it in, in a prison might allow us to see this like whole other level, a whole other concept. So basically it was like we were female prisoners putting on Shakespearean plays. And apparently as well, this is because a lot of prisons do drama workshops and they use a lot of Shakespeare. They do. I know there's, a, fr- really there's a friend of mine who works in the States who's been who's working through Hamlet. Oh, yeah. But was working through at one act per year, as in overall five acts, because the guys she was dealing with are going to be in there for that long. And that's, yeah. the, le- that's the caliber of, you know, of mm-hmm. folk you're dealing with. And it's really interesting, to yeah. see, you know, and, and guys really invested in it. Like, you know, looking at Hamlet, not going and getting revenge, going, what the fuck is he, how is he not gone and stabbed him immediately? Yeah. Like, they like, because again, we're talking about fundamental human issues at play. And yeah. they buy it and they get it completely. Mm-hmm. No, like they actually have Shakespearean life. Hmm. Like that's what I learned from working with prisoners. Like yeah. I did loads of workshops with prisoners in the UK and then I just did my own, I've done my own volunteer work just in Mount Joy myself, but I haven't gotten to do enough drama with them. I just did my own stuff with them. Um, and it's, I just, I, I don't know how to say it, but I have this incredible admiration of prisoners. Like, really? I just do, because they have, they are in a physical sense of imprisonment, so they have to find a different sense of freedom in themselves, which is a huge journey, like if you're going to be in there for a long time. Yeah. And that's what everyone's always looking for. <laughs> like, we're always looking for this thing, like, you know. I was like, put yourself in prison, you'll end up finding it on the inside because you have to. Yeah. You know, and I met lifers, I met I met incredibly like people with long sentences, short, I've met petty criminals, I've met, you know, murderers and um, and they, they end they can end up being as like it there's a fine line between uh, all of us becoming incarcerated or not. Guys. Seriously, yeah. like it's and, and it really grounds you and it makes you realise how um how equal we actually are and um, 
and and yeah, so so working with prisoners and then working with Shakespeare, it makes you realise, wow, okay, that that is really gutsy stuff, and what you can do with that language is is a lot more visceral than you realise, yeah. um, and very real and very true. The scope of a project that spanned as much as it did, yeah. does that, what does that do in terms of the experience for you guys as a company? Uh, well, we all just became incredibly close friends, obviously. There was a few um, roller coaster moments, you know, there was, there was, <laughs> there was all sorts of, like I broke Jay Danuka's finger at one point by accident, which was terrible in the kickboxing action. The first time we did Henry IV, um, that was horrible <laughs> uh the guilt of that but um it was purely accidental you know it was kind of like uh but it was also there was also moments of like just i i don't know the first preview of julius caesar uh was like something huge lifted i don't know what happened but it was like people stood up on their feet in the donmar and they banged their feet like really? It was tribal. It was like people were just screaming, going more, 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 more. That didn't happen on the oak. That was just the first preview. It was like yeah. giving birth to something, you know. Um, and it was exactly the same as well. Actually, the preview of Henry the Fourth. I remember going, "Oh God!" Like I was so scared. Uh, then, like, I don't know, yeah, it was it was a huge experience. But there was moments in it that were so magical. They were so magical. Like, I don't know, I could go on about a million <laughs> Like, the, the first preview of Henry IV, um, I was being told before I went on, we're going to have to tie your hair in a different way. It's not working. You know, it was like... Uh, and I was like, do I have to change my whole characterization? Like, before, you know, it was like... It was really, like, it was all very, like... Oh, it was very stressful. And I remember I was, I was standing in the dressing room and I couldn't eat. I was too nervous. So I was there like doing that thing of like getting a, you know, a banana and like some Lucozade and going, right, I'm just gonna, just gonna stay still here for a second. And there was a knock on the door and uh, somebody came in from stage and we going, Claire, this is delivered to the door for you. And it was just an envelope. And I was like, all right. And I opened the envelope and it was a card. I can't even say this without getting emotional from uh, Kieran Hines from Paris and he, we had worked together on Juno and the Paycock and I hadn't heard from him in years and I hadn't seen him and he wrote to me and it was this lovely long like note just saying I know you're about to do one of the most historical things ever and I just wish you so much love and luck and everything and I just it was like, this is why actors are amazing. <laughs> because at weird moments, like we reach out and we help each other and we don't even know what it's doing for each other. Like no. we just don't even know. Because we know what it takes to go over the top. But to go over the top and do something that's never been done before, ever, is like so scary. What was it like for you, for you as a, as a company, I guess, to, for women to get the chance to play those roles? Uh, it was so a relief. It was like <laughs> exhaling. It was like finally, God Almighty! Sorry, I'm not breaking the mic there. But it was like 
I like I'm over it now. Like as in not over it, as in I'm 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 now I've done the thing where I get to do all the fighting and I get to do all the cool scenes and all the like stuff with like eating food and drinking and snogging women and like being all leery and being all comedic and then all of a sudden turn around and have to fight a battle and kill someone and then hold a dying friend in my arms and then uh, take over Rome or then uh, you know what I mean? I have done it. I have had the feeling of finally doing that. Like, I can't explain what a relief that was. It wasn't like, oh, I'm out of place here. Yeah. No, it wasn't at all. It wasn't at all. The only thing we had to learn how to do was to, like, walk with our hips a different way. <laughs> I had very tight hips, okay? It was very hard on the hips. Because lads walked out, because you thrust everything out, and we, we're built a different way. So yeah. you, have to, you have to move a different way. But you know what? I was fine with that. I was fine with that. I warmed up. I, I it was a relief. Oh, that's all I'll keep saying. It was fine. It was grand. And yeah, like any big role that you're doing, that's a lot of physicality. You have to get fit for, and you have to train for, and get in the mentality for. So I did. Yeah. I was playing another human. I got ready for that human. I trained for three months doing kickboxing and all with the the, the UFC guys in Dublin here and. Uh, I just like watched lots of wrestling like yourself Excellent. and I uh, and I watched lots of documentaries to do uh, Prince Harry or like famous people or people with a lot of pressure on them when I was doing Prince Hal because he's a guy that's about to become the king and about to be you know and uh, so I watched a lot of stuff about that and I prepped and I, I just think like wow and I, I just I want more men to play women now as well and I want I just I'm now going like, oh, it's such a relief. It's great crack. Just do it. I love it. It's spectacular. <laughs> uh, talk to me about Claire Dunn, the writer. Okay. Um, I, I'm sensing we're going to go down the storyteller route again here. <laughs> um, and is it a case of if you don't have the, the avenue or the release valve of being on stage every night that you still need to create? And is that where it's going? Is that the impulse? Yeah, I suppose. Like uh, For me, it was like I actually had always been writing and didn't know it. I was just writing, <laughs> like, like, because I liked doing it, and I really mean that. I, I would love going sitting in cafes and just free writing. I didn't know what that was. Turns out a lot of that was spoken word, but I didn't even know it, or it was just like free flowing writing and me probably doing self therapy, I suppose, on some right. level, or trying to just, you know, you know, when you have a big decision to make, or you're trying to do pros and cons lists, like I mean, very basic things like that, I would do as well. Uh, but my sister told me, she's like, Claire, you have always had a notebook. Like, you're mad about writing. And I kind of only copped on to that when I was doing Major Barber because I used to love going in. And I would sit in a cafe and just write in the morning and then go into the, to the matinee. And I remember going, what's that about? I've just, I just like sitting down and writing, hmm. like random stuff. Um, and I think it was because I was reading a lot of books at the time and it was feeding my brain. So it was making me think about stuff. So I just wanted to think out thoughts. It wasn't really, it was pure flow of thought. Like uh, Then by the following year, I had a fancy New York agent asking me to go and do pilot season. So I was doing pilot season in New York and uh, it was after doing Julius Caesar in New York. That's what it was. And I'd been offered a theatre job, but I turned it down. I took the advice. I went, okay, I'm going I'm to go to, to the pilot season. And lads, I was terrible at it. I was awful. <laughs> I was... 
I think I was just the most shocking auditionee in the world. Uh, no, I did some good auditions. I know I did because the agents watched the tapes. Okay. <laughs> so they told me I wasn't doing too bad. It's just a numbers game. Yeah. Uh, it's what they're, they're looking for, a certain product. They're trying to get a pilot made within a few weeks that might never get made in the long run. It's all very businessy, right? Yeah. So it's not personal. So I did, I did about two and a half months there. And I think that was where I realized I was a writer. And it was because I was reading so many scripts a day. So I got very adept. My, my taste for writing went, I knew on the first page whether yeah. I was gonna like something or not. I mean, it just became a muscle. Like, I just knew what was good and what was, and it became like, it was really gutsy. It was like, oh yeah, this is a good writer. I just knew. Just you could feel it. Yeah, I could feel it. And then I realized, geez, I wonder could I apply that to my own writing and could I write something? And uh, yeah, and really like, um, uh, that's, that's it. I, I was struggling there because it was like so many auditions and no callbacks. Then it was like, okay, what am I actually doing here? You know? So yeah, it was one of those wall moments that yeah. I mentioned. <laughs> Where you're like, oh no, I don't think I'm going to just like be discovered like everyone else is in New York or LA. I don't know if this is going to happen for me. Oh no, what am I doing with my life? All of that. It was there when I faced that wall of like, I don't think I'm going to just get given a job here in New York. I want to write stories about things that mean something to me because I was reading all these scripts that were so dislocated from myself and my world and all that kind of thing. And I just had this huge gut feeling that I had to write this story. So I got this idea for a story that really was directly from my heart and guts and I was very passionate about. And I remember just Googling something and then just like, I'll just start to research something about that. I'll just, you know, follow that thread of thought. It was very gentle at the start. And, uh, and then it was realizing I had no money left. And I went, I think I'm just gonna, I think I'm just gonna go home. Uh, Charlie Murphy and me were living together at the time in London. And she rang me going, I think I have to leave the flat in London. And I was like, I think I do too. And we both knew her like, yeah. And she was just, she meant she was just moving. I think she had to work a lot in Manchester at the time. She goes, I just need a few months to sort out what I'm doing. And I was like, yeah, no, me too. Let's just get rid of it and da, 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 da. And basically I came back to Dublin, I came home. I just, I came home. Um, and it was during those couple of months as well that I got the audition for, for Prince Hal and I got it. So I knew I had a job a few months down the line. Yeah. So I was lucky. I was one of those actors that didn't have a job, but I knew one. I had one four months later. So I came home and I used those four months. I house sat for someone and I lived on very little money and I researched and I started writing and I started writing and I still remember the first day that I, wrote, I had 60 pages written. I didn't know what it was, but I'd written in like a, a cheap final draft mode, yeah. some sort of script, like screenplay. Like it was just epic. It was so epic. Like it took me like, but like it, it's huge the first time you do that. Yeah. It's a big step because you're just trying to say to yourself that you're a writer. Mm. And then it was, then I, I applied for an Anna McCarrig thing. And then I applied for like some funding from the IFB. I didn't get it the first time. Went the next year, got it the next year to research and write. And so that's how it went then. Do you feel that there's a difference when you're writing for stage versus when you're writing for screen? Or is it all coming from the same place? Um, I don't, like on a... 
on a kind of feeling level on a guttural level like you have to be telling a story obviously from a similar place like you have to give you know you have to care about the story and you have to like it and all that kind of thing and know what you're telling but I definitely think there is something screen is visual yeah and the words that you choose for the person to, to be saying in the scenes like it, it has to really directly grab on a very epic level in, in the centre of your chest I think like when you're reading it because people are very quick to put down a script a screenplay theatre people are willing to know that these words will lift off into space and become whole other things when, because theatre is a much more aural art form that's what I think okay I, I, like, I don't know anything else on any other level right. like that is, is my basic understanding and I, I kind of realised that that does happen because yeah. with, with my own like I haven't done that much writing for stage but what I have done I've realised oh I've after doing after doing Sherlock and Fuck It with Philly and everything and where I went oh oh that travels like you know there was things that I just didn't expect to be funny or work or or land in a way that did so yeah what still gets you excited about the business uh the people that I've been meeting lately in Dublin and all the new writing and the way people are so willing to just get up and try stuff like all the time. Like when I was really distraught with myself coming back from New York in 2014, Dublin saved me. Like I really was like at my wits end and I was going, yeah, I might try this right thing. But really, to be honest, I was like, give me anything. Give me anything to hang on to here. I know I have an acting job lined up, but like... I just want to remember why I do this. Mm. And it was going to see stuff in theatre upstairs, going to see stuff in the project, seeing all the new writing that was around, seeing like all these great people. Like I, I just remember seeing that show, uh, I think it was the Cup Theatre guys, Kate Gilmore yeah. and Lawrence Falconer, they did, they did this show. And I remember being like, that was so amazing. Like I remember like, just there was all these things on. And I was like, Dublin is amazing at the moment. It's buzzing with loads of... Like, to me, that's what I felt like. And I'm sure everybody... They were all going, oh, well, I'm just trying to get out of the school. I'm just trying to do this. And I was going, no, no, no. Like, as long as you are hanging on to the fact that you can create something yourself that you like doing and put it on, that is the main thing. Like, don't let that go because I nearly lost it there for a second. Like, I really... Like, when I was in New York, it was like... I started to feel like it was all a bit soulless or something mm. and it was look that was just my experience of it some people go and they're grand and they get something and blah 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 but whatever I was going through in my track in my story and where I was going it was like whoa okay I obviously needed to learn like myself that oh I need to have there has to be something in it there for me that's that's in it and it's in the writing it's really in the writing that's the basis of it so talk to me then about that track yeah. and what's coming down the track. We have exciting times ahead. Ooh, are you well, what, are you, so. what are you allowed to talk about? Uh, like I have a film in development, right? And um, it's at a very exciting point. Like, and I, I am working with the most incredible people. So I'm working with like, I can say this because I think it's in the public domain okay. anyway, that I am working with Element Pictures and Merman who was run by Sharon Horgan and then 
and then yeah and so then there's other big companies that have just gone we want to invest so we're hoping that if if the wheels turn in the right way in the next two weeks we could be shooting this summer really yeah yeah if if we get the right people on board like it's really about getting the the right actors and that's all I can say right now and look I'm warned all the time films are like don't believe it until you're on the set and da 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 and I absolutely know all that I don't mind the film came from me coming back to Dublin and being reinstated with a sense of such faith and such like oh my god I this is what I'm in it for by looking at all these amazing people in Dublin doing all this new stuff that completely is like from that sprung me and my sprung my inspiration for this and the sheer will and energy to go again and I, I look back at that as going and I'm like it doesn't really matter now when the film happens or whatever or how I have to just be really grateful because basically it gave me like everything back like the whole journey of it since has been phenomenal like what I've done with that film like the journeys with like um interviewing people meeting people research and just going on trips with it and then getting given money just to sit still and do that by the Irish Film Board like thank you Irish Film Board um, has been so immense that like what next you know like it's kind of like it's only going to get better it's it, only going to get better it's brilliant and I'm so excited and delighted <laughs> to see where it's all going to go Claire thank you so much for joining thank the podcast I'm so delighted to finally had you on <laughs> thank you thank you for having me so there you have it the brilliant Claire Dunn so great to spend an hour with her and so great to hear someone speak with such passion about the business uh, and I think you know it's a pretty real take on what life has been like in her career um, and I love her for it she's brilliant I love working with her I love watching her on stage she's a superstar and she is only going from strength to strength I'm delighted to see what's going to happen with this movie it's all going to be very exciting I wish her nothing but the best she is the best and so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of theatrical goings on around the country at the Abbey Theatre they have the Unmanageable Sisters and that'll be followed by Here All Night from Garson Lazar uh, at the Gate they have the Rape of Lucrece at the Gaiety they have Postcards from the Ledge Russell Carroll Kelly featuring the brilliant Rory Nolan uh, at the O'Reilly Theatre, Grief is the Thing with Feathers, starring Killian Murphy. At the board, gosh, they have Matilda. And then at Theatre Upstairs, they have Lyrics, starring Danny Galligan and Tom Moran. At the New Theatre in Temple Bar, they have Nora. Uh, at the Civic, they have Maz and Bricks from Fishamble. Well worth checking out. The great Stephen Jones there. At the Viking, they have Test Copy from the brilliant Rosanna Parcel. That is a show that I think debuted last year and is now back on the road again. Uh, Rosanna's the best. So well worth checking that out if you can get yourself out to Clontarf. At the Dolman Theatre out Southside in Cornell's Court near Fox Rock, they have a little show called The Good Father all next week. Do please go and check that out if you can. Bewley's continues with My Left Nut, one of the Shona bags from last, last year. Uh, Project The All-Conquering Tryst from Sickle Moon. Do definitely go out of your way to check that out if you can. As we head south around the country then to Cork, they have Private Lives and The Importance of Nothing. That'll be followed by Toriacht, which is doing a full nationwide tour. Uh, up north to Angreenon in Letterkenny, they have a little show called The Good Father from Rise Productions. So if you're up in the northwest, do please 
please come along and check us out there. Uh, at the Town Hall in Galway, that production of Toriok is also there as it goes around the country. Uh, the Lime Tree in Limerick they have from Under the Bed, and that'll be followed by The Importance of Nothing. And up north in Lyric in Belfast, they have the Colleen Bourne. So, look, that's us. That is episode 22 in the books. Jesus, we're flying through these. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. But in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>